0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to Knowledge at Wharton. I'm Angie Bassuni. Let's take a trip back in time to the 1980s for a moment. Big hair, big shoulder pads, big jewelry. It was definitely the decade of excess. Shows like Dynasty, Dallas, and Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous made us dream about sipping champagne, partying on a yacht, wearing that silk Versace dress, Gucci shoes, carrying a Louis Vuitton handbag. Conspicuous consumption was aspirational and we glorified the rich. But things have changed. In just a few short decades, there's been a cultural shift away from conspicuous consumption towards something called minimalist luxury. Counterfeit goods have become so sophisticated that the real thing has lost some of its luster for the rich. I mean, what's the point of sporting your $100,000 Birkin bag if the woman sitting next to you on the subway is carrying a pretty good knockoff for about 100 bucks? Wharton marketing professors John Zhang and Pinar Yildirim have been studying this phenomenon and have written a paper about it called A Theory of Minimalist Luxury. Not only do they explain this shift, but they also analyze what it means for the luxury goods market that relies on these wealthy consumers. They're here with me today to talk about it. John, thanks for being here.
1: Well, thank you, Angie, uh, for setting up the conversation perfectly.
0: And Pinar, thanks also for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's start first with how we got here. It's interesting to me because in this paper you write, quote, less is more is the new conspicuous consumption. What does that mean? I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Zhang.
1: Well, the uh, conspicuous uh, consumption was a term used by Thornstein Veblen, uh, an American economist and sociologist back in the 1890s. He actually noticed that uh, the wealthy people tended to buy many things that they consume in public. Things like what you mentioned in the introduction at a very high prices. This was rather odd, given that uh, functionally equivalent products were available at much lower prices. He suggested that uh, these wealthy people engage in this wasteful, showy consumption or conspicuous consumption and to signal their wealth uh, status. Essentially, these wealthy people were putting their wealth on display to convince others that they belong to a different and much more desirable class. Therefore, conspicuous consumption is a way to signal social status.
0: And Dr. Yildirim, can you add to that? What does less is more and conspicuous consumption mean? Yes, just to to, to sort of add to John's point,
2: in his uh, famous theory of leisure class, uh, Thorstein Veblen was studying the, the Gilded Age and he argued that consumption was a, was essentially a signifier of wealth and it became honorific uh, to, to consume. It was almost a failure to consume. Uh, if you're failing to consume, it was a, a mark of demerit. So he dubbed consumption as an as an aim to demonstrate one's economic status, economic uh, position in the society. and and therefore signaling your, your wealth was essentially a conspicuous behavior. then uh, had the insight that consumption and display of items that you owned was essentially communicating information about yourself. That could be your economic status. It could be your, your social status. It could be the, the qualities that you have, for instance, coming from a, a famous a royal family. An expensive watch and an expensive car, an expensive handbag, just like those days today, can tell others that we actually have wealth. And uh, there's a large body of academic research as well as anecdotal evidence that simply suggests that individuals spend a lot of their wealth in order to to display these expensive items, to communicate these, these characteristics of themselves. This is very much the grounds on which the luxury industry operates. People buy expensive items, luxury brands, not because they just care about those raw materials, craftsmanship, high quality, but because they want to communicate something about themselves. They want to communicate their economic status, their social status, and consumption does this rather rather well. Now, this, trans, this trend of wasteful spending to communicate status is, is very much still alive and out there, but what we've been observing over the past uh, one or two decades is this uh, alternate emerging trend of minimalist consumption. Growing numbers of consumers have started practicing an opposite trend. That is, they decide and, and pra- practice the, the idea of buying fewer items and buying better. This is what we refer to as minimal luxury within the within the paper. But of course, as many will recognize, minimalism itself is a much grander, much bigger concept than just the, the luxury industry. From uh, you know the, the famous sort of popular. Um, TV personality Mary Kondo and her ideas of purging mm-hmm. items that you do that do not bring you joy to to architecture to sustainability there are many motivations for for minimalism and we see examples of minimalism in in various different industries we see it in architecture the number of items that you buy could be very few the furniture that you own could be very few kitchenware items could be very few or you might be intentionally purging clothing apparel items So minimalism in some sense is is a very grand concept that's applying to many different areas. But thinking about minimalism in the context of luxury to to some was an oxymoron because for years, for almost uh, a decade, we have known the idea that uh, people were consuming in a very conspicuous way. They wanted to show wealth. They wanted to show their, their ownership of items, expensive items. So why would you buy want to buy less if the the reason why you're buying items is to to show them, to display them? And that's essentially the observation that started us with this research.
0: So can you tell me how you went about studying this? I mean, were you just uh, getting on the subway and checking out who was carrying the Birkin bag? <laughs> or I imagine there was a little more rigor to this. Um, Dr. Jane, can you talk to us about how you studied it?
1: Well, I'm an economist uh, by training. Uh, I know the Veblen thesis uh, pretty well from school days. And uh, of course, I'm also a theorist. So essentially, the way I study the, uh, uh, the phenomenon is to build a model and propose a mechanism uh, for what's uh, happening. And uh, so the Veblen thesis basically says that uh, the rich buy expensive luxury goods to signal their status. Okay. However, if you look at today's marketplace, like what you just mentioned, Angie, uh, in the introduction, and uh, you notice that there are lots of high quality fake luxury goods around everywhere, and they are available at a fraction of the cost for the real thing. Then if you think a little bit about this and you realize that uh, the Babylon thesis uh, would not work in today's environment and there is no good reason for the rich to spend on the the, the luxury goods. Spending on luxury goods is like burning money in public and to convince (laughs) others that you really have a lot of money. Imagine that if you don't have a lot of money, you obviously would never stage any kind of a public burning of money. However, if lots of fake money are around that looks just as real, you do not need to have a lot of real money to stage a public burning. You burn the fake money. Nobody needs to know. This means Mm -hmm. that with a fake high quality luxury goods around at low prices, luxury goods can no longer serve as an effective signal for social status. The rich should find something else to signal their status. Yet, if you look at the reality, even with uh, so many fake goods around, the rich are still buying expensive luxury goods and luxury brands are still prospering. So what's going on? That's the puzzle that intrigued us. That's what we want to uh, solve. Our answer is that uh, the minimum luxury is the right signal in today's marketplace because when you buy less and buy better, you stand out. You stand out simply because uh, you are more winning and also have more opportunities to sacrifice functional utilities than the people you want to stand out from. To give you an example to illustrate. Uh, in old China, for instance, a woman from wealthy families uh, practiced uh, food binding, which was a very, very painful process. Thus, when you saw a woman with uh, extraordinarily small feet or the minimalist uh, feet, and so to speak, uh, you know she must be from a wealthy family. This is because with such a small feet, you cannot do any mini work. You must have a servant to take care of your daily needs. A woman from a poor family can never afford to bind their feet, Uh, so she has to do all the work. Here you see that uh, the rich make some sacrifice that the poor are not willing to make to stand out. That's essentially the theoretical foundation for the minimum luxury we propose.
0: That ancient practice of footbinding is a really good example. It it, it illustrates how culture has always placed this premium on wealth and how we've signaled it to each other over the centuries. Uh, Dr. Yildirim, can you also talk about how you went about studying this?
2: Yes. uh, As John said, the way that we think about this is, is essentially, can this theory hold if you put together the economics behind it? Are there enough incentives for consumers to be able to practice this behavior that be consistent with their desire of signaling their wealth so that's the question that we are asking and we, this is a theoretical exercise so this is a, you know relying on on economic theory in combination of math so what we started first looking into was, was essentially trying to understand what kind of incentives what kind of a change in the environment could result in this shift of behavior right the, the first question one can ask is uh, are we in a different market now? Do consumers no longer care about conspicuous consumption? And that's certainly not the case. But the the second thing we observed is for consumers to be able to signal their wealth through consumption, uh, the, the channels of doing this, the mechanism of doing this is a lot harder now. And this is because there are a lot of high quality and, and fairly cheap price counterfeits that are available. This is the mechanism through which we, uh, we talk about the the challenges of signaling for the wealthy for the and, and luxury consumers today. So in a, in a market like today's where you have super fakes, as they are called, or triple fakes, uh, where you know these, these counterfeits are practically visibly the same. They are of very high quality and fairly low prices. How can you just through consumption signal your wealth or your other qualities to, to completely strange, uh, completely stranger, uh, anonymous strangers? So this is going to be a, a challenging task for those who own who own wealth and who own luxury goods. Uh, as a result, they need to use some other tactics. They need to uh, they need to be able to find other means to to signal that they are wealthy and, and to differentiate themselves from others. The, the mechanism through which we, we try to explain this is also talking about the, the functional benefits of goods. When we consume luxury or any other good, of course, there are symbolic benefits or non-functional benefits, as it's called in the, in the economic literature. These are the, the benefits of signaling or ourselves, signaling our wealth, differentiating ourselves from others. But there are, of, of course, also additional functional benefits of these goods. Right? If you own uh, 20 different se- sweaters, those 20 different sweaters also serve a purpose. In some sense, what the, the rich can do is to purge items to, to the degree that they can own a fairly small number of expensive luxury goods to be able to signal wealth. At the same time, somehow sacrifice from all those other functional benefits of those goods, which the the, the, the uh, non-wealthy uh, cannot to the same degree replicate. And... Uh, and you see these narratives in, in different, uh, different anecdotes as well. So essentially, this is a, a reversal of tactics for the wealthy. Uh, they are trying to still spend money, but try to do it on a fewer number of items and impose in some sense, the costs of, uh, costs of having to, to live with fewer number of items on the non wealthy And that's the, the story that we tell in the paper.
0: You were mentioning the super fake, so It was interesting to me that I read in your paper something that I did not know that some of these counterfeit goods are even produced in the same factories using the same materials as the more they more expensive pieces. So it's it's no wonder that some of these items just no longer hold the hold the certain allure that they used to. It makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about. Uh, I know you've been studying this for a number of years now, but now we're in the middle of a pandemic and we've seen tremendous changes in consumer behavior in terms of what people are buying, how they're buying it, how they're getting together. You know, we all know there's more sweatpants, less high heels, and people are no longer gathering in the places where they used to, to be able to signal their wealth through what they were wearing, the cars they were driving. No one's going to the opera. Um, So has the pandemic sort of accelerated this idea of minimalist luxury? Uh, Dr. Yildirim, I'll let you start with that.
2: If anything, I think the pandemic taught us that conspicuous consumption is real because many of us are now spending time at home behind screens, but we don't have these these social interactions with with uh, anonymous strangers anymore. And to the extent that we observe people spending less money on conspicuous items but on uh, on sweat sweatpants or or other comfortable items, that tells us that. We don't simply care about the quality of of raw materials or craftsmanship or or other characteristics of these luxury goods. Because those things haven't changed in the pandemic, right? The fact that we no longer buy those things, but switch to other items indeed tells us that the reason that we consume these goods, at least in part, is the idea of signaling to others something about ourselves. So conspicuous consumption at least seems quite real. A second thing, uh, just actually relating to another study that I, I have been working on, uh, I've been looking at how COVID changed the the shopping behavior of consumers relative to the pre-pandemic levels. And I'm looking at uh, Brick-and-mortar store traffic. And what I have seen looking at about 20 different product categories and, and again comparing before and after store traffic was that perhaps not surprisingly, the, the traffic in all of these categories had declined. Uh, you know, some categories a little less, such as home goods and office products, but but all of them had seen a significant decline. But the the, the two or three categories that had seen the largest decline actually were luxury consumption. And an apparel, apparel, fashion goods, uh, shoes, and, and jewelry, so related mm-hmm. items. Uh, perhaps, sort of, or also interestingly, man's apparel pretty much floored. Woman's apparel, it also has seen a significant decline, but not as, as drastic as man's apparel. But seeing these changes also confirmed to us that if you know, we care about others' perception, and, and if we don't have these interactions to the same extent, we're not going to consume these goods with the same motivation that we did before. So I think if anything, the pandemic has taught us that conspicuous consumption is still pretty much alive, and it's pretty much a, a, a motivation for consumers to buy and, and consume luxury goods. The second issue, of course, is now the pandemic has also given us the chance or opportunity to, to reevaluate our or values how we Mm -hmm. prioritize our our life and think about the social interactions in relationship to to other things, to ownership of objects. And I I think there might be some some value or um, some (laughs) benefits to managers in in terms of thinking about how uh, the, the values of consumers might have shifted during the period of the pandemic. If anything, for a luxury manager, the question should be, do, will the consumers enjoy consumption of goods to the same degree as, as they did before? and Or should we expect some kind of changes in, in how they value uh, or how they see the benefits from consumption? So I think this is going to create even more hurdles for the luxury brands moving forward.
0: And I think that that's where your paper moves from the theoretical to the practical. Uh, you said in the paper, and I'm going to quote you, the trend of minimalist luxury is not something to be alarmed about, that luxury brands can preside over it if they know how to manage it. Uh, so tell me, how do they manage it? What do they need to be thinking about, Dr. Zhang?
1: Well, our research really shows that, uh, in fact, a luxury brand should not get alarmed about the trend of a minimum luxury for a number of reasons. I'm just going to give you two, and then the Pinar is going to add more. And uh, first, that uh, the minimum luxury is only one of the multiple trends going on in the marketplace. And not all consumers will embrace it and for all product categories. which of means that uh, the luxury brands do have a room to play, still have a room to play. And even with uh, this kind of a trend going on out there in the marketplace. Second, that even if consumers embrace uh, minimalist luxury in a specific product category, uh, the brand needs not to suffer Uh, in revenues or in profitability, which basically means that even if a minimum luxury is going on out there in the marketplace as a firm, you can still maintain your revenues or profitability if you do it right. And the reason is because uh, when consumers buy less, but they also buy better, and which basically means that as a brand, if you cannot play with the quantity, you can definitely play with the price. So that's something you wanna pay attention to, Gunnar.
2: Uh, Precisely. I I would like to add to to what John has said. Uh, In fact, we would like to nudge the managers to think more carefully about this up-and-coming trend. On the surface, consumers wanting to own fewer items may seem like not good news from the perspective of luxury managers, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. As long as, as a manager, you can adjust your product portfolio and your pricing, you might very well ride on this trend and actually not suffer any losses. So that's the to two actionable items that we would like to to start uh, recommending the the luxury managers. You should think about your your product portfolio. Try to perhaps narrow it down to the core products and think about your pricing that is in line with consumers' desires to to signal their status or their belt. Uh, We, of course, have a lot more recommendations in our paper, A Theory of Minimalist Luxury. We would like the readers, the listeners to hopefully go and take a look at it. But um, that's the the core recommendation we would like to make. A second, of course, perhaps more intuitive recommendation that we can make is try to to keep the value of your luxury brand as clear and as undiluted uh, to the consumer as possible. That means try to make your differentiation from the counterfeits. To the extent that it's possible, it's a very challenging task because counterfeiters are really good today. They have very high quality materials, practically the same factory uh, producing these items as the luxury goods. But to the extent that it's possible, try to differentiate yourself and make your products visible to others. And then this challenge will actually go down. So those are the recommendations we can make.
1: And also it's always a good idea for luxury brand to uh, stay ahead of the counterfeiters and through innovations and then all that.
0: So professors, what's next for this line of research for you? Dr. Zhang, would you like to start?
1: Well, the luxury goods industry is a big industry. It is a highly visible industry too uh strangely enough in fact that uh there have not been many studies that think deeply about how to maintain the viability of a luxury goods as a signal for social status in a very very changing and dynamic environment and so we will stay on this uh, viability issue and uh, in the near future for sure dr
0: hildrum so um
2: luxury industry or or The entire research area of conspicuous consumption is uh, is quite an interesting area because it says so much about human nature. It tells something about our desires of of being in this world, how we want to live, uh, whether we want to look like others or or different from others and how consumption in some sense serves this purpose of, of trying to differentiate ourselves from others. Consumers over centuries have have, uh, relied on different tactics for this. I mean, they were spending, they were basically spending uh, their wealth in order to, to signal things about themselves. Now they are reversing these tactics to some degree. And in the near future, they might be relying on other tactics. They might be using... Alternate ways, alternate methods, alternate channels or dimensions of signaling. And uh, we are on the lookout for this. We are actively observing and and looking at how consumers are trying to communicate characteristics about themselves through consumption. And and this is an ever-evolving area, as John has said. Uh, And and basically, this is what we'll be working on.
0: (laughs) We'll see how it goes in the next couple of years, how that consumer market changes. I want to thank my guests for joining me today. Again, their paper is titled A Theory of Minimalist Luxury. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more just like it on our website, where you can also read all our articles on the latest research in business. I'm Angie Bessuni. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.